Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Mother to us all. Amen. <clears throat> a few years ago, I gathered with an ecumenical group of clergy for which I led the opening reflection. Afterwards, the Nazarene pastor said, boy, you really stepped on my toes today, which I took to mean that my reflection had hit him where he lived, had pinched his conscience. Well, today's gospel steps on my toes. For the past year, I've been having serious conversations with God, wondering what it means that tragedies not only occur but seem to be accelerating. Sexual abuse and cover-ups in the Roman Catholic Church and among Southern Baptists. The poor vilified. Immigrant children separated from their families at the border. The massacre at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, another massacre, this time of Muslims in New Zealand, a devastating cyclone in Mozambique, killing hundreds suddenly, and the steady thrum of anxiety about the environment, the revelation that we've turned our world into a cesspool of plastics, the warnings that we only have a handful of years to radically reduce fossil fuels before the changes we wreak are so great that the earth will be a misery for future generations. Like those around Jesus today wondering why these tragedies happen, why were some Galileans persecuted in such a cruel way by Pilate, killed even as they worshipped God? And I too have to ask, why? Why do these tragedies go on and on? Why must we suffer? Why must others suffer? Why do we harm one another over and over and over again? Now, unlike those around Jesus today, I don't think that disasters happen as punishment for people's sins, nor do I think God causes tragedy. And that seems to be Jesus' point, too, So, as he asks them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish, as they did. And then he reaches back into history, reminding them of an accident when the Tower of Siloam collapsed, kill, killing 18 people, a freak accident, not a persecution. And Jesus asks, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. In both cases, Jesus makes clear that the Galileans persecuted by Pilate, those crushed by the Tower of Siloam, were not the authors of their fate, causing their own deaths by their sins. God does not use suffering and death as punishment, he's saying. Pilate was the cause of the death of those Jews at worship. 
The Tower of Siloam fell. Who knows why? Sometimes horrible things happen to good people, to bad people. We want to make sense of them. We want reasons. When someone gets a serious diagnosis, somehow we always get around to asking slyly if they did something to deserve it. Did they smoke? Drink? Did they eat bacon? If a tragedy befalls someone, sudden job loss, divorce, addiction, we sift through their lives and their behavior to find the cause. And when someone dies, too often we pull out the platitudes. God must have needed another angel in heaven. At least he's in a better place now. God never gives us more than we can bear. We would rather make up reasons. We would rather blame the sufferer. We would rather blame God than stay in the chaos and confusion that tragedy and suffering bring. In the face of inexplicable suffering, of sudden tragedy, of course we want answers. And we think that if we can find the answers that it will all somehow make sense that we can prevent future sufferings and tragedies. But Jesus doesn't seem to suggest that our job is to try to fix the universe, to try to understand the reasons why. Our job is to repent. Our job is to repent. And another way to translate that word is our job is to turn towards God, back towards God. Another way to translate it is to change the way we think. But here's the thing. Even if we do that, even if we turn towards God, even if we change the way we think, we will still suffer. We will die. Suffering will continue in the world as long as we are in it and long after we're gone. We can spend a lot of time trying to figure it all out, trying to figure out who is to blame, or perhaps in the suffering we can turn towards God. We can change our mind. Then, in the face of these questions of trying to sort out why bad things happen, Jesus stops the conversation and he tells a story. He tells the story about an impatient owner desiring figs, a barren fig tree, and a gardener who offers to tend the tree, caring for the soil around it, stopping the destruction of the tree so that it might have more time to grow and to develop. The great poet and former U.S. Poet Laureate W.S. Merwin died on the Ides of March just nine days ago. Merwin towers over the last 70 years of poetry, winning just about every award a poet can win, including two Pulitzers. He rubbed elbows with every important writer of the 20th century you can name. His style is immediately recognizable. 
and his interests are consistent. For his whole life, Merwin focused on loss and transience, the brevity of our lives, the beauty of this world that is disappearing. Though he loved the natural world and wrote about our hand and its disappearance, though he seemed to dwell in the reality that one day we all go down to dust, in 1977, he moved to Maui, buying acres of desecrated land, land that had been stripped and ruined by having been forced to yield pineapples, bereft of any native plants and trees. And then one day, he went outside, and he planted a palm tree. And then the next day, he planted another, and then another, until this land that had been desecrated and stripped became lush and fertile, hosting thousands of palm trees, including species that are now rare and endangered elsewhere. And now that land has been restored he and his wife created a conservancy, preserving a place of health and lushness. In the face of loss and devastation, both as the general human condition, as the very specific damage of that particular land, in the face of all that loss, he knew he was coming, that will come, an ecological disaster to each of our lives. Merwin chose to plant trees. In the face of terrible tragedies, Galileans killed at worship, 18 killed by a falling tower, hundreds killed by a cyclone, Muslim Kiwis killed at prayer, Jews killed at prayer, and on and on and on. In the face of that, we must turn. We must turn our minds to God to God's realm, to life. We can be like the gardener, staving off the execution of the fig tree, offering to amend the soil, digging in around the roots of the tree, helping it to thrive as we add compost and manure, working towards life even in the midst of threat and death. Sometimes, that means working for justice, changing our minds and working on the minds of our communities, uprooting racist, violent ideologies before they take root, bearing rotten fruit in the barrel of a gun. Sometimes that means weeping with the ones suffering rather than trying to figure out why. Sometimes it means examining sin in my own life, in our own lives, asking God to root it out and to nurture our roots so that we will bear good fruit. And sometimes it means cultivating beauty and hope in a desolate land, knowing that we might not live to see or taste the fruit ourselves. I don't know how to explain tragedy. Lately, I've been wondering what it's like to be God, watching all we do.
to hurt one another, what it's like to see us suffer, we who are beloved. It makes more sense to imagine God sorrowing than it does to imagine God sending us suffering. Even so, what to do in the meantime? I suppose we tend the garden, enrich the soil, acting as a countersign of love and nourishment, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God in a world hell-bent on destruction. Maybe repentance is holding up the hope, the belief in God's realm even as we wait for it to come. W.S. Merwin wrote this in his poem, Place. On the last day of the world, I would want to plant a tree. What for? Not the fruit. The tree that bears the fruit is not the one that was planted. I want the tree that stands in the earth for the first time with the sun already going down and the water touching its roots in the earth full of the dead and the clouds passing one by one over its leaves. On the last day of the world, I would want to plant a tree In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.